I walked through a county courthouse square and on a park bench, an old man was sitting there. I said, your old courthouse is kind of run down. He said, no, it'll do for our little town. I said, your old flagpole's kind of leaned a little bit and that's a ragged old flag you got hanging on it. He said, have a seat and I sat down. Is this the first time you've come to our little town? I said, I think it is. He said, I don't like to brag, but we're kind of proud of that ragged old flag. Some of my recollections of the experience that the Shelton family had with the organization known as the Ku Klux Klan in the early 1920s. I was finishing my sophomore year at the Southwest Texas State Teachers College in the spring of 1923. Although the Ku Klux Klan was supposed to be a secret organization, its activities were anything but secret. Its tentacles spread throughout the Southland, including many areas of Texas. I will try to confine my remarks to what happened around Austin and San Marcos. I will refer to the local organizations as chapters for want of a better description. The Austin chapter had a rather substantial membership, and the San Marcos chapter was a real hotbed, involving many of the most prominent people in the town of San Marcos. However, I want to make it plain right here that the faculty members of the college took no part in the Klan and were very adverse to its formation and to what it was trying to do. Dr. C.E. Evans was the president of the college, and Mr. A.W. Birdwell was uh, dean of the faculty of the college and also uh, the teacher of history. He was to become the new president of the Stephen F. Austin Teachers College, which was then being built and was opened that year or the next year. The Klan issue caused an open scission between the townspeople who were members of the Klan and the members of the faculty of the, of the teachers college who were against it. I am not sure of the dates that I speak of, but this is a history of incidents and not dates. In the late spring of 1923, while school was still in progress, the following instances took place between my family in Austin and the Klan in Austin. The law firm of Shelton and Shelton, which consisted of my father, my brother Earl, and my brother Polk, had their offices on the sixth floor of the Littlefield building in Austin. The offices only consisted of two rooms, the outside room where there a library was and where the secretary was supposed to sit, and then the inside room as a conference. One Tuesday morning about this time, my father had opened the office and then gone to the courthouse to tend to some business. When he returned to the office, the mailman had been by the office and delivered the mail and Papa found an open letter laying on the floor, which he retrieved and read. It was addressed to the Shelton firm and was signed by the Ku Klux Klan. It was a terse statement stating that if the Shelton family and lawyers did not quit defending the bootleggers, they would have to get out of town. My father surmised that my brother Earl, who was rather hot-headed, had received the letter and opened it before while he was at the courthouse, and then Papa surmised also where Earl might be. It so happened that a Dr. Howes, a dentist, was also often on one of the upper floors of the Littlefield building, and Papa and Earl both knew that Dr. Howes was organizing the Ku Klux Klan. They may have, he may have made some offer to get them to join, but anyway, they knew that he was an organizer of the Ku Klux Klan, and so Papa surmised that Earl was probably going up and having an audience with Dr. Howes. This surmise proved correct. 
Papa caught the elevator up to Dr. Howes' floor and went around to where Dr. Howes' office was supposed to be. And when he got around there, he found my brother Earl had Dr. Howes collared and was giving him what amounted to a rather a, a phys a severe physical whipping. Papa pulled Earl off of him, that is the doctor, and said, Earl, now this is not the way to handle this matter. Let us do it in a proper way. Then Papa faced Dr. Howes and said, Doctor, we received your letter. We know you belong to the Klu, Klu Klux Klan, and we know several others here in town who do, including one of the city aldermen. This is the only notice I am going to give you, and hear it well. If the Klu Klux Klan tries to harm me or my family, any member of it, and I might add any of my friends, then I am personally going to wait until you sit down at breakfast before your family some morning, and I'm going to kill you with a shotgun. With this admonition, Papa and Earl left the office. Papa told Earl to go on back to the office while he went on up to the city hall to wait on the city alderman that he, was men he mentioned to Dr. Howes. And he had the same conversation with the alderman who happened to be in his office when Papa got there. And he told him the same thing, that he was going to be killed in front of his own family at breakfast if any harm came to the Shelton family. Then when Papa got back to the office, he and Earl and Polk had a council of war. They held what you would call a press conference now. They called the Austin American statesman and told someone in the know that they had gotten this letter, and if they wanted to come down and read it, they could do so, and that they might put in the paper that they knew that the Ku Klux Klan met on Thursday night on the second floor of the building located on East Fifth and Santa Santa Street in the city of Austin. And Papa would like for the paper to print the fact that he was going to be there on Thursday night to see who all of his friends might be. This story seemed to be newsworthy because the paper did print it. Pat Neff was governor of Texas at the time, and as such was in charge of the Texas Rangers. He also had been a classmate with my father in Baylor University, what was called Baylor College in those days back in the 1890s. And Pat Neff, having known my father, knew that he was telling the truth about what he was going to do. And so he gave a press release and said that he was going to have the Texas Rangers down at the Ku Klux Hall that night to see that no... <laughs> battle took place. However, it might be mentioned here that Pat Neff was a big Baptist and was elected by the Baptist people over Texas and that he was a member of the Ku Klux Klan in Waco. And uh, at that time, the Baptist church was being given donations to uh, by the Klan all over the state and it was uh, uh, they were hand in hand in their dealings. And Papa knew that Mr. Neff, uh, or Governor Neff, was not his friend in this matter. So the publicity stage was set for a possible confrontation at the Ku Klux Hall at uh, 5th and uh, Santa Santa Street in East Austin, or east of Congress Avenue, for Thursday night, uh, just before dark. The Ku Klux Hall, as it was called, was upstairs over a furniture store at that location. And the entrance to the upstairs was at the alley, the mouth of the alley street, on Santa Santa. And you had to go through a door there, and they go up the steps to the Ku Klux Hall. So, as Papa has stated, he got prepared to make this meeting on Thursday night. He didn't want to carry a weapon himself because he didn't want to uh, have a battle unless he had to. However, he didn't want to go down there without any arms at all. 
So he enlisted the help of his friend, Charlie Hamby, who was a constable in East Austin at that time. And Charlie was a little trigger happy. He, he wouldn't mind shooting a man once in a while, and he didn't have to have a big excuse to do so. So Mr. Hamby was to take a double-barrel shotgun and be with Papa, but Charlie was to sit across on the east side of, of Santa Center Street, well within range of Buckshot, with the entrance to the Ku Klux Hall. And he had a folding chair, and he was to sit at that point of vantage and uh, have a double-barrel shotgun with, loaded with buckshot in his lap. And so my brother Polk was to drive uh, these two men down to, to have, the, have their little understanding with the Ku Klux and set things right. Polk said that they had this folding chair for Mr. Hamby to, uh, sitting in the back of a, a Chevrolet automobile. As they call them Phaeton in those days. It was a two-seated uh, Chevrolet Papa had, and so Polk was driving the car, and uh, Mr. Hamby and Papa got in the front seat with Polk, and the chair and the shotgun was in the back seat. Well, Polk said he drove Papa down to the, uh, there were two folding chairs there were, that's what it was, because Papa had a folding chair that, and a tablet and a pencil, and he got out on the east side of Santa Santa Street, at the, where you had to go through a door, uh, is on the sidewalk. He didn't get in the building. He sat on the sidewalk with his pencil and pad. And Charlie Hamby got out and took his folding chair across the street and his double-barrel shotgun, and Polk ro rode away. He was to come back in 30 minutes after most of the Klansmen had uh, repaired to their upstairs haunt and pick up Charlie Hamby and Papa, if they were still there, and take them home. At the appointed time, Polk said that he drove the Chevrolet back around and he, he picked up Papa, who was sitting there with a, a pencil and pad that he had, and he had about 19 or 20 names of men, Papa knew them all, that went in and had gone up to the Ku Klux meeting. And then they drove across the street and picked up Charlie Hamby, and uh, then, then they took Mr. Hamby back up to wherever his car was, and they Polk drove Papa home. At the identical time this was happening, and Polk and Papa and Mr. Hamby were leaving the Ku Klux Hall, it so happened that Chicken Childress and a boy named Peter Clayton and another boy who were taxi drivers, all three got in the front seat of a Chevrolet exactly like Papa's was at the depot at 3rd and Congress Avenue. Their intention was to go out East 6th Street to where they lived or to go to, the, they were gamblers also, and they'd probably gone out and have a little game. And it was uh, nighttime, and so they got in their car and they drove up to uh, uh, Congress Avenue intending to go out East 6th Street to their destination. But when they got to 5th Street, they noticed that uh, Congress Avenue was blocked by a crowd of people, cars and everything. And it so happened that that night there was a man called a, sp a, sp a human spider. He was going to climb the corners of the Littlefield building, and it had been advertised, and people had come down there to see this man climb up the Littlefield building from the outside, and they had blocked Congress Avenue going out on 6th Street. And so Peter Clayton and, and Chicken Childress and this other boy, they turned east on 5th Street, intending to go on down to, to uh, Brazos Street and then turn north and get on, on East 6th Street. Well, they went down uh, to Brazos Street, which was one block east of Congress Avenue, and turned north. And that was blocked also. Uh, Brazos Street was blocked there. People were parked there watching this human spider climb up the building. And so they had to turn down this alley, which was the west end, the east end of which was where the mouth of the, where the uh, stair to the Ku Klux Hall was. And so they turned down that alley. And there were three men riding in the same kind of car in the front seat. 
uh, it came out the mouth of the alley, and, and there were 19 men, or 20 men, standing down at the mouth of that alley, and they thought it was Papa, we think they did, thought it was Papa, Charlie, Hammy, and Polk riding around the block. And so when these three boys came out to the alley, several shots were fired by the group of Klansmen on the corner there, into the car. And uh, they were perfectly innocent, didn't know what to think of it, and so they drove straight up to the city hall. Peter Clayton was killed in this fuselage of shots. It also so happened that some of those people down that did the shooting were police officers for the city of Austin, and they knew what had happened. And so it got in the question that printed that Peter Clayton was killed at the mouth of the, of the alley at the Ku Klux Hall, and nobody knew who did it. That came out in the paper on Friday morning. Well, Papa was not aware of this situation until he read the paper on Friday morning. And when he did, he went wild. He said, well, I damn sure know who did it. And so he went to town. He had the names of these men he had seen down there. And he filed a complaint for murder against every one of them. And the city of Austin became a powder keg. The pre-publicity had prepared the city for just such a, a frame of mind. That morning, Papa got call, telephone calls from the little town of Creedmoor and also B. Cave. The townspeople in those two communities had a mass meeting, and the men called Papa and told him that they had their rifles and shotguns and were ready to come to town and clean the Ku Klux out if he'd just call on them. But Papa informed them that he thought he could handle the matter himself. Of course, I got wind of it uh, through the paper on Thursday, on, fr on Friday afternoon. And I was in San Marcos, and I decided it was time for me to come home and see what was going on. So I caught an old red ball bus, that's what they had between San Antonio and Austin, and rode home, and I got home. Well, I noticed that my brother Earl lived across the street on, in, on uh, West Live Oak Street from where we lived, and uh, uh, Papa had uh, shotguns and rifles and pistols and everything all over the house, and Earl had them too, and Mr. Simon Gillis, who was a Catholic and lived about two blocks away and was not involved in politics up until that time, but Mr. Simon Gillis, he was uh, prepared uh, to do whatever he needed to do with rifles and shotguns. And I sat around waiting for somebody to tell me something which did not happen. Nobody told me anything, and all I knew was what I read in the newspaper. That was Saturday morning. Well, at one time, in the not-too-distant uh, past of that time, Papa had been superintendent of the Baptist Sunday School in South Austin. And he was an anti-prohibitionist, and so... Uh, they asked him to resign his post as, as a, a, a Sunday school superintendent because of that, although he never had a drink and never allowed any in our house, but he thought other people had a right to do what they wanted to do. And, uh, he, uh, but he was asked and kicked out of the church. And so after that, we didn't go to church in Sunday school anymore. And, but Papa made a practice of going ever, over each Sunday morning to what was called the Dixie Cafe or the Dixie Bar, on the west side of Congress Avenue between 1st and 2nd Street, run by Mr. Old Man Dave, uh, Old Man Joe, I forget his name now, but anyway, it was a saloon. And so Papa played dominoes over there on Sunday morning until noon, and he came home and had lunch. Well, the fact that he had had this uh, altercation with the Ku Klux on Thursday night and that the town was red hot didn't keep him from going over into town and uh, sitting down with his friends over there, and they were all his friends, and most of them were armed, but Papa was not armed. But he went over there and played dominoes. Well, I was sitting out on the front porch 
uh, of our house on, on Live Oak Street, West Live Oak Street, just hoping that I'd learn something. But all the n- news carriers had gone uh, to town, and Mama didn't seem uh, willing to tell me anything. However, about 11 o'clock, while I was sitting out on the porch swing, here comes a big, tall black man. Toward the house. We had a, a little uh, a picket fence around the house at that time, and I thought I recognized this nigger. I haven't seen him several years before that. Old Greasy John Sneed. So he came on down and he sidled around the fence looking for a dog and he saw me sitting on the front porch. He said, Mr. Emmett, said, you know who I am? I said, I think I do. I said, is that Greasy John? He said, this is Greasy. He said, you got a dog here that's going to bite me? I said, no, there's no dog. Come on in, Greasy. Well, he said, is your papa here? I said, no, he's over to Dixie Bar playing dominoes. He plays dominoes at about noon. He comes home to lunch. He'll be here in a little while. I said, if you want to see him, come on in and, and uh, wait for him. Well, Greasy come on in. He sat down on the porch swing there with me. And, and he said, I want to tell you what happened to me since, since, since I haven't been here in Austin. He said about, and he was telling me all this story about how luck had, uh, had, uh, fortune had uh, come his way. And Papa came in about that time. And old Chevrolet, the same one that uh, they had ridden down the Klukla call on Thursday night. And uh, before he could get out of the car, old Greasy got up off this uh, porch swing and walked out to him, walked up, and he said, Mr. Shelton, you want any of them Ku Klux killed? And just as cold-blooded a proposition as you ever heard made. And Papa said, no, Greasy said, I don't know of any of them that, that, that I won't kill. If they, if they do, I'll do I'll do my own killing, Greasy. He didn't dare mention the name. Greasy argued with him. He said, now, Mr. Shelton, you've got me out of jail a hundred times. You've loaned me a dollar, a hundred dollars, a dollar at a time. And old Greasy ain't worth shooting. He said, now, he said, they'll burn me at the stake if I do it. But I'm ready to go. He said, I don't want these folks working on one of my one of my friends like this. And said, there ain't no need you worry about it if you just give me a chance to get after him. Well, old Greasy, uh, Papa wouldn't mention the name because he knew Greasy would do just exactly what he said he was going to do. And the, uh, it wasn't, uh, of course, Papa wouldn't mention any name. And then about, oh, I guess two or three years later, old Greasy had moved to Austin with his, with his wife, had him a big new brick automobile. And he and Foster, I mean, uh, Oscar Wise, one of the old South Austin boys who, by the way, had been having Papa in this Klu Klux trouble. He'd, he'd uh, ride the avenue with his right, or with his shotgun and asked him to come out and get him. At that time, Oscar was was uh, bootlegging Lil himself and they'd uh, trying to run, the Klu Klux trying to run him out of Austin. And Papa told Oscar, said, Oscar, you take your taxi. And he's driving a taxi then. The bridge up and down Congress Avenue all day long and I'll pay for your gas. I just invite him to come get you. Well, Oscar did that. And Oscar and none of the wise boys are afraid of anything in the world. And so that was a challenge to the Cluckers. They couldn't take that too well. I'll go along further and tell how Papa baited them in other ways. But uh, the upshot of this was that Oscar Wise and, and Greasy, after Greasy came to Austin, had a little bad, bad blood. And they were gunning for each other. And they met down on Red River and uh, East 6th Street one day. And Oscar happened to be out on the sidewalk with his Winchester. And he saw Greasy trying to get out of his car with his gun. And Oscar shot him and blowed him plumb out of the car and killed Greasy. situation down in Belleville. That is about 23, 24, 25 along in there when the Ku Klux Klan was organizing them big, uh, bigly here in Texas and the Baptist Church was backing them but uh, we had a bad situation there in Austin but this is about the Belleville. The Klan down in Belleville decided they was going to have a parade and in their robes and uh, the sheriff down there and the officers in the little town that was uh, somewhat of a Catholic and, a, and, a, and a, either a Bohemian or Czech community and German community, and they didn't, uh, the, the clan was against them. They were they were against those people. And so the sheriff and the other people that were anti-clan said, if you do parade, we're going to stop you. 
Well, they didn't believe it. So they had a parade and they had a gun battle in the streets of Belleville. And uh, one or two people got killed. And so the, the grand jury down there indicted these Klansmen. They knew who they were for killing the, the, the other people that uh, probably fired on them. But they had a question of self-defense involved. But anyway, they was, their thing was so hot that they couldn't try it down in uh, that county. And there was a Judge Krager was not a judge down there. We called him judge because later on he become, uh, he was appointed by Governor Ferguson to the uh, Commission of Appeal, to the Court of Criminal Appeals. But Judge Craiger was just practicing law down in that area, that, 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 uh, that was Austin County, I believe. And so they transferred those, uh, they called them the Klan murders. We transferred those off up to Austin and to Belton. They transferred one or two to Austin and others to Belton. So Judge Craiger came up and the kids, folks of the deceased people hired Papa to help prosecute these cases with Judge Krager and Dan Moody. And so they did prosecute them, and Dan Moody got enough publicity out of uh, prosecuting these Klan cases to uh, uh, run for Attorney General two years after that and, and get elected. But anyway, during the trial of this case, well, I don't even remember the outcome of it. I didn't get to go see any of the trials, but I do remember that during the course of the trial, that Papa had a, a watermelon supper out at the, our home there on 211 West Live Oak Street, and and Governor Moody, who was then the uh, uh, district attorney, Judge Crager, and some of the other friends of those, those, those people, the Kemp folks, they came out and we had this watermelon feast. That was the first time I remember meeting Mr. Mr. Moody. Because I'm mighty proud of that ragged old flag.